Welcome to Girl Power Pod, the podcast to inspire and motivate women to feel empowered to pursue their dreams. Cassie Roma, head of content marketing for the Warehouse Group, described herself as a kindness warrior. In this episode, she explained why, and she also talks about not defining yourself by your job title and how we need to change our view of what good leadership is. Tag along! Okay, so if you want to start with um, telling the listener a bit about yourself, who you are, your background. Wow. Your life story. <laughs> My life story. Okay, back in 1981. No. Um, I have started to introduce myself recently in like a different way. So I used to introduce myself in almost terms that meant I was owned, like someone's mom or colleague or a job title. But a lot of therapy and a lot of <laughs> soul soul seeking means like, um, so I'm Cassie Roma um, and I consider myself a kindness warrior. So somebody who um, lives life uh with kindness as the base of everything that I do, um, while still maintaining that kindness does not equal weakness. So there's much strength in um, in being able to treat people the way that you truly would like to be treated. I am definitely an unshakable optimist as well. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Rose-colored glasses at all times. Uh, I at one time was called a fantasist because I, I really do like to imbue the world with positivity yeah. because the other option is not ideal. Um, but I'm also obviously, um, as a professional, I'm, a, I'm the head of content marketing for the Warehouse Group. Um, personally, I'm a mom and a wife and a sister and a friend. Yes. Great. <laughs> um, so tell me about, about your work and what you do on like a daily basis. So um, I work right now for the Warehouse Group, which means we work, I myself and my team, we work across five different brands, which is super amazing but also crazy and very fulfilling so i work with the warehouse group as a an umbrella group over um, the warehouse warehouse stationery no leaming torpedo seven um and we kind of bring all of that together so a day for me no two are the same um i do a lot of work from the strategic side of things and sit within the creative portion of the business down in the marketing um kind of center of excellence that's been built here um this has been one of my most fulfilling jobs. At How a time, long have you been in it? I've been here a year. Oh, and wow. um, a year ago, I remember starting the job thinking, I really don't feel like I'm at a place in my life where I want to work in another big corporate again. Um, there have definitely been times in New Zealand where corporate culture has, has said to me very loud and, and very overtly, um, you don't need to have an opinion and stop you know, playing outside of uh, your lanes you know, color in the lines. And I thought, geez, the last thing I want is to come to another corporate and then feel like maybe my soul's being a little deflated. And it's been the opposite here. The work here is fulfilling. It's fun. Sometimes it's down in dirty retail, but there's heart at the center of all of that. And I think that's um, magic. So coming to work every day is fun. There's no two days that are alike. 
Awesome. So yeah. how do you start your day? You have like a morning routine. Uh, yes, I have a morning routine. I'm a morning person. I used to get up at 3 a.m. most days and go oh, to the well. gym. <laughs> you're worse than me. I get up yeah. at like 5.30 and all my friends are like, what? Why are you up that early? It's too early. People used to tell me like that is the middle of the night. Like yeah. it's not the morning. Um, I've stopped that in the last year or so. And I get up about 5 o'clock every single morning and um, I get this little, it's called a spark energy drink. It's just basically a vitamin drink that tastes yummy. Um, and I sit down and I read or I write something that fills my batteries in the quiet. So I love that time where the family's asleep and I'm awake and you can just start to hear kind of, we've got a cowrie tree out front and these twoies that sing. So every morning I'll sit and I'll read and I'll write. I don't particularly jump into work emails um, unless I have to, but that's my time to kind of fill fill my soul and and get ready for the day. And um, from about 6.30 in the morning, it's getting kids ready for school, getting my wife and I out the door, and then um, heading to work. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, there's something special with waking up before the sun comes up and, you know, kind of look before the day starts. Yeah. It feels like yeah. you're one step ahead almost. Yeah, we live, that. we live in a beautiful place where we can see the ocean too. So we can watch the sun kind of come up over the sea. And for a California girl, it's Amazing. kind of like, wow, <laughs> I found the spot. You know, it's a really, really cool way to start a day. Um, and probably two or three times a week, I like to get some exercise in, but it depends. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and what's the best part with your job? The best part of my job is the people, the people I work with. And it's the it's the reason I keep coming back to work and going to work. And I think, you know, 16 years ago when I started in the profession of marketing and storytelling and then moving into the digital and social media spaces, what's always drawn me to the profession that I sit in now are are people and the ability for big businesses to to literally change the world. You know, big businesses, when you have a seat at the table, can have a say in in what governments are doing, what communities are doing, and they can really give back. So it's the people I work with and the passion that we're able to feed off from each other that I love most about my job. Being able to be creative and use my passions, that's cool. That's a big tick, but it's the humans that I come to work for. Sometimes it's like I get, don't tell my boss, but it's like I get to come to, it's like going to school and seeing your friends, but doing really cool stuff that helps to kind of shape our society with those friends. You know, it's, it's a really cool way to, That's to awesome. live. Yeah. 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 Awesome. <laughs> um, so you did a post about millennials on LinkedIn and, and I think you got quite a good reaction on that one and respond on it, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, LinkedIn has been a good good uh, platform for me recently. Um, I'm not trying to be provocative by any means, but I've also in the last kind of year shed my fear of having a voice and using it. Um, and as I've come into my voice, I've also been able to just call people out for their bullshit. And the millennial piece, it was crazy. It went mental. You know, there was like half a million people for, were reached. And when you don't reach that many people all the time, it was an amazing thing just to watch the number keep ticking up. And I think the premise of the piece was written off the back of the, the woman who works at Muffin Break in Australia and who said that basically all millennials are lazy because nobody's knocking on her door to work for free at the Muffin Break. And I was just like, wow, this is, as a mother of a teenager, this is wrong on so many levels. Like, first of all, it's illegal to not pay people for work. Second of all, no offense, but it's muffin break. 
And like third, you have to be fairly well off already from an economic standpoint to be able to intern. The, the young folks who intern and aren't paid or recompensed for that, they have to be able to survive somehow. So the piece was about not lumping all kinds of people into a broader group because I myself fall into the millennial age group. Just, just squeak in. You know, I'm somebody with a divorce and two mortgages and all and a child and everything behind me. And I'm like, you know, it felt weird and odd to be lumped into that group. But then also I didn't want to be ashamed about being a millennial either. And it felt like she was telling us that we should be shameful for being part of that age group. Um, so the piece was, it was calling her out on, on the absolute bullshit that she was spouting first and foremost. And then secondly, trying to address the points of youth and why culture is kind of shifting now at the speed of tech and vice versa. And, and the democratization of opinions, some of them very well-founded, some of them not, um, why that's important for businesses to take into account when they're looking at their younger employees as they start hiring them through. Mm. Yeah. What do you think is some of the benefits of being a millennial? Some of the benefits? Yeah. There must be some good things, oh, right? There's some great benefits of being a millennial. I mean, first and foremost, we're alive. <laughs> Let's just <laughs> yeah. be, be happy to be above ground. Um, I think there's a real, there's an amazingness in an age group that I can remember a time before tech inundated my life. I don't remember a time before tech, but I remember a time before it, it was all-encompassing. So those times when you'd go out for hours and hours and we used to play in riverbeds and climb in trees and I cannot believe my mother let us do that, but we were gone until the sun went down, you know, and if our bikes got a flat tire, we learned how to change a flat tire and we made it home on time. Um, but there's a big shift now um, and I see it in my own child where she doesn't know a life without something in her hand, a tablet or something where she can look and learn and and take content in. And for me, I, I do get a little nervous about that. So I think the best thing about millennial being a millennial is, is understanding that you need a balance. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to just sit and watch a sunset and marvel at it while at the same time as a marketer, understand, you know, CX, UX, and a customer journey that might just help us get a sale. You know, so there's this great push and pull and yin and yang in life that millennials are able to, to yeah. look at and be a part of. Yeah, totally. Yeah. How do you think the, the next generation will be on the, in the workforce? I think the next generation are going to be, they're going to, they're going to want more and, and demand more from traditional businesses. And I start to see that in the, in the younger group of the millennials as well. Um, and what I mean by demand more is that businesses that don't care about their people will not get good people staying with them. If a business isn't loyal to an employee, why should that employee be loyal to that business? Um, the younger generation will be a part of the generation. I know I'm teaching, again, my child this. She, her worth is not inextricably linked to a title on an org chart for a, for a position description she didn't write. She is worthy of wherever she wants to be in the world and she is able to take up space. The businesses that start to understand that will get the loyalty. They will get the hardest workers and they will get the best talent. The businesses that treat people like numbers on an org chart will fail. I guarantee it. Mm. Yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, you also did, we talked about LinkedIn, but you also did um, an experiment where you unfollowed men on LinkedIn to see how that would affect the algorithm of LinkedIn. This was a, a very unintended and not very scientific study of one. 
<laughs> and what happened was I've been moving further and further away from Facebook because there's just there's too much noise there. Unless I want to, you know, have a chat with my mom on DM or see what my cousins in Missouri are doing, I don't really log on to Facebook anymore. I love Instagram, but when I want to actually have a deep conversation, not the place to do it. And by deep conversation, I mean with other people that probably I don't know sitting around a, a dinner table. LinkedIn for me has become like a really cool saving grace from a professional perspective around sharing information, um, kind of building up social currency around, hey, this is a value add. Did you understand this? Do you know this? Are you feeling this? And what I started to realize is on LinkedIn that I was getting bored. And I was like, oh no, LinkedIn's getting boring now too. Damn. You know, and it was and my brain went, actually, Cass, why is it boring? So I started to question, maybe it's not LinkedIn's fault. <laughs> maybe actually I should look at myself in the mirror. And what I started to notice was I had a, a couple thousand um, people that I was following. And over half of those people were white men at a high level in businesses. And I mean, that's everybody from Richard Branson and Simon Sinek and Gary Vaynerchuk and you name it down to the CEOs of the businesses here in New Zealand. I'm gonna say 99% white men. And that what I thought was, okay, I'm a professional, I can hack an old algorithm. So what I started to do was, without any intention really, was to just go, I'm gonna unfollow men, specifically men that I don't know, and um, who are sharing similar viewpoints to similar men, if that makes sense. So I started to unfollow and unfollow and unfollow and unfollow. And what I thought, my hypothesis was, when I start to unfollow, the algorithm will start to go, ah, she doesn't want to see that kind of content from those kinds of people. Tick will start to feed her more content from women and people of color and the rainbow community and everybody else. Six months down the road, no, I was still getting the same content and I was still quite bored. But what was fascinating and what I took from that was women and people of color and minorities were sharing the voices of those white men because it felt to me like, first of all, they were safe voices to share. And secondly, every time I personally have shared some of my own um, thoughts and feelings, I've had trolls attack me like crazy. So it's scary to have an, an opinion and to, to share it. So what I was seeing was twofold was, no, I didn't hack an algorithm whatsoever. Um, and it's society really that needed to be hacked. So the piece that I wrote was more along those lines around, it's not a female or male unfollowing because I don't like one or the other. And what I learned was that no, my algorithm didn't get better. It was that it was now it's the time to encourage more women to create to encourage more people to share and then to lift the voices of others who maybe don't have as strong of a platform. So I'd love to see the Richard Bransons sharing more content by women and people of color. Um, but wow, was their reaction horrific. It there was some really, really horrid comments that came through and I spent probably seven hours of my life blocking people. Oh my God. Um, and also like the cool thing that you can do on LinkedIn, if somebody's an actual real person and not a troll or a bot, is you can take their comments and screenshot them and send them directly to their employer, which oh, is also true. a fun thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I went from like being very happy to share on LinkedIn to now being slightly gun shy. Um, but fear has not stopped me yet. So yeah, it was an interesting experiment. I mean, how do you deal with that when you get like a really a troll attacking you? I, I talk to women 
mostly whose opinions I value because it's mostly women and those in minorities who get attacked for trying to, you know, speak up or speak out of place. Um, a good friend of mine uh, who's a, a fairly well-known New Zealand performer, um, I, I chatted to her about it and said, you know, this is, this is really rough. How do you handle it? Because she has to deal with this en masse mm-hmm. and within the context of her own, you know, home, her country. And she basically just said, mate, fuck them. She literally said, Lando, she was like, if they can't see you and they don't know you, their opinion doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I was like, is it, is it actually that simple? And she said, yeah, it's actually that simple. So I've tried to take that on board. And then I also looked to people like Glennon Doyle Melton, who um, also says the same thing. She says she creates and she shares and she puts content out in the world. And then she doesn't make it her job to then police the reaction of others. So it's just taking other women's purvey, you know, their points of view and going, okay, it happens to all of us, unfortunately. Um, yeah, something to tackle, <laughs> something yet to tackle. So what do you think will be this year's big marketing trends? Whoa, I love these questions. Every year I get them wrong. (laughs) (laughs) This Um, might be the year you get it right. (laughs) um, I really think that the big trends in marketing and what I'm seeing talked about worldwide is the embedding of ethics and conscious consumerism into what marketers are talking about. So instead of just a pop and drop templated, buy more stuff, buy more stuff, buy more stuff, we're taking a look at and kind of peeling back the layers on how do we market ethically? So we're really lucky at the warehouse group. For the warehouse, we've got some amazing ethically sourced products. And it's been a a beautiful journey for me as a human, not just somebody who works here, to understand that. But then how do we match that where we go in the future with our ethical marketing? You and I were talking earlier about um, some businesses that have been coming off of social media for both ethical and moral reasons. And it's how do we appropriate budgets and spend? So I think some of the biggest marketing trends will be in understanding the purpose of a business and then having purpose-driven ethical campaigns. So you look at Patagonia, wow, they are so leading the way. I get their EDMs from the States and from Australia and it's just like, wow, they're taking a stand. What a cool company, right? Yeah, they're very transparent with everything. It's quite cool to see. Yeah, and their storytelling is just off the hook. Mm. They're, they're unafraid to piss off some people for the sake of helping what they see as helping the world, mm. right? And then you can even see big businesses like Nike that could be a little bit confronting with their Ka- Kaepernick campaign and all of the things that going through and just making a stand against racism, against homophobia, against um, misogyny. Holy cow, they're a shoe company but they're making it okay to talk about these things. So I think purpose purpose and ethically kind of forward thinking marketing will be huge this year as we start to unpack things like influencers, you know, macro versus micro versus nano. It's like, wow, we first have to unpack why we're, why we're having other people be our, our voices, you know? So it'll be a fascinating year ahead this year, specifically with governments now being asked to help police and, and, 
and create governance around rules and places like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. It will be very fascinating next year. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and I think it will be interesting to see as well with um, Lush that we talked about earlier um, and how they will if there will be any other companies who might follow the trend of like, yeah. hey, we're not going to advertise on social media anymore. Yeah, yeah. I think it, it's a strong stance to take, but I don't think I have a, a coworker, um, Troy, he's brilliant. And um, I was trying to break everything down in my head and I was complicating it. And he said, like, look, have you ever seen an empty Lush store? I went, uh, yeah, okay, they'll be fine. <laughs> they'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. You know, so there's, there's, I think there will be a time where businesses go, holy cow, we don't have to put all of our money into certain platforms. We can, we can make a stand. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels like that's when storytelling comes in really strongly as well, which I know you really love. Yes. Yes. Part of it. I think, and and that's one of the beautiful things too about that I miss about social media because I'm so old now, (laughs) almost ancient, that I can remember the days when social media was about like banter and it was about human connection. And I can remember the first day I worked at ANZ Bank and I was doing some of the customer communications on Twitter and I'll never forget a fellow wrote into us and he'd had an interesting experience in a bank and he tweeted about it. And I kind of went through his Twitter feed and I looked at it and he seemed like a really funny guy and he also loved Elvis. And so I went and I was just, I was like, I'm just going to be sassy with him. I'm going to completely apologize for the weird experience he had, but I'm going to apologize in Elvis's voice. And we went back and forth for hours doing Elvis quotes. And it went all the way up. CEO saw it, all these people. And they're like, wow, this guy. And he said to all of his his followers, I love this bank. Who says I love a bank? And for me, that was like, wow, there's the power. We've just connected with this guy and shown him that we cared and that we cared enough to find out, you know, those little pieces about him and being able to do that at scale has been what's filled my cup as a marketer and a social media marketer. But it feels like in the last four or five years, we've overcomplicated all of that. And the story has fallen away. And sometimes I say to, to peers in the profession, like, what's your story? What are you, what are you wanting people to get or take away from your campaign? And it's just blank sometimes. I'm like, no, 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 no. We need to bring it right back to a human truth. Um, So I miss that part of social media, but I feel like we're going to head back there soon. I have faith. Yeah, Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think so. It feels like that's the trend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So how would you say, you said you love the team and the people, and that's what really gets you up in the morning. Yeah, yeah. How would you say that you build a strong team? I think the building of a strong team, first of all, uh, takes some reality, so it takes time. You can't just walk into an office and go, hey, we all trust each other, right? Because um, a strong team and engagement are built on trust. They're built on safety and they're built on understanding. And all of that stuff takes time. So when I'm working with teams and building with teams from the get-go, if we're just meeting each other, it's like we are complete randoms (laughs) thrown together by a universe that meant us to be in this room. By LinkedIn. By LinkedIn. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be a troll. Um, (laughs) And we're going to have to trust each other. And we're all going to fall. We're going to have bad days. We're going to have shit days. We're going to, stuff's going to happen outside of work. And we're going to have to love each other regardless. And for me, a lot of that is just putting the time and effort into getting to know people and to allowing them to, I know we, uh, 
some, you know, marketers love our, our, our buzzwords. Fail fast is a big one, right? But actually, yeah, do it. Muck up. Make a mistake. Do something that's a little bit crazy and a little bit crazy. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. No harm, no foul. I truly believe in that. And I think once you allow people to feel safe, then you start to build a team that's that's super, super engaging um, and engaged. So, um, yeah, safety and trust. And how do you build a great work ethic? For me? <laughs> I, I think it's enthusiasm and curiosity. I really think um, I read today about um, CQ is the new EQ. Have you read uh, this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, the curiosity quotient. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that. And I've been waiting for that my whole life yeah. <laughs> as a very curious yeah. person. Um, but if you can come to work enthusiastic, especially as a leader, and if you can keep people curious and really find out what somebody's natural superpower is and, and just love that and help them build that. A lot of the time we, we focus on people's weaknesses and we weaponize not knowing. And I, I, I go, no, nope, nope. We're going to turn the door on that one and we're going to concentrate on your what you're good at and what you're passionate about. And I'm going to feed curiosity. And from that perspective, I think that grows um, a great work ethic because then it's pleasure to come to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Totally. yeah. So what key skills do you need to be a great marketer? Um, in the in the, the storytelling side of marketing that I work in and in the social side and then potentially in, in that more digital sphere, community sphere, I always like to think about what we just talked about, curiosity. Mm. One of the first things I was ever taught as a copywriter a long time ago still holds true today, and that's it. You have to be able to take off your marketing hat and be able to see the brand as a consumer without having you know that closeness to a campaign or to a product. So being able to be very objective as well is helpful. And then also not drinking the Kool-Aid. Um, you can see that Kool-Aid train coming down and filling up people's cups and then swigging away. Like you can see that happening um, in the way vernaculars used and languages used and a new piece of tech will be jumped on and before the human impact is thought through. So it's just being able to also stop and realize when you've gone and drunk the Kool-Aid, um, proverbially speaking, and just be able to go, okay, we're actual normal humans. <laughs> Let's think about how we our work impacts the world around us. And if you can remove yourself from, because marketing is fast and it's it can be really stressful and it can be time consuming and all consuming. So if you can just kind of step back every now and again, then you'll be a good marketer. You'll be a, you'll be a great marketer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, how do you think you can use a different, so you work a lot with social media, but how do you think you can utilize the different channels that's out there and use them to the fullest? Because they all have kind of different purposes. Completely. I'm, that's, a, that's a pretty loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> how long is this podcast? <laughs> Um, I think it all depends on objective, right? It depends on uh, scale and objective. And then at the heart of everything, the the person or the people you're trying to reach. Um, When you're looking at utilizing different channels, when I'm working with smaller businesses or smaller teams, I always kind of err towards understanding what their main proposition is going to be and what their main objective is. And we work then very targeted. We work towards what channel is going to work best um, from resource versus impact perspective. For big brands like the warehouse and the warehouse group, we're so lucky because 
we can test and try new things in almost any channel that comes out. You know, whether when Google My Business started, we were one of the first businesses to jump on that because we had the resource and the intel and we were able to do that. When it comes to Facebook and new products and different ways of displaying things, we can also jump onto that. But sometimes I think businesses do spread themselves too thinly. So it's understanding the data too that you're getting back. What are your objectives? Are you still working towards them? Because we do get distracted by bright, shiny things. That's the best thing about being a marketer, the bright, shiny things. But we get distracted by them quite often. So to be able to use all the channels is probably a bit gluttonous. But to be able to understand them is essential. If that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So you've been on Auckland Pride, on the board for Auckland Pride. Yes. Um, but you're not there anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So what were your mission when you were on it? Um, so I joined the Auckland Pride board, I think in 2017, 2017. Um, and to be honest, I didn't know a lot about the Auckland Pride board. <laughs> And I joined with a friend of mine, Matt Jackson, who was also on the board. And um, my whole goal was just to, my daughter's old enough now that I didn't have to be at home with her all the time. I could take one night out every other week and spend some time giving back to the community. Um, My goal was to put into place some firm structures around longevity of a parade and um, a festival. Which is, which is very ironic because last year we had no parade and the festival was smaller than ever, but I'd stepped down by that point. And really, I just wanted to become more a part of the rainbow community in Auckland. Um, I was married to my ex-husband for quite a long time, I think 13 years. And then I met my wife and I married my wife. And to be, in, to be included in the community, um, it didn't happen until I met my wife. Um, so it, I felt like I was on the back foot and needed to, to start to meet people and wanted to just understand. And what I learned was um, Auckland has a very, very diverse rainbow community. And, and there was a long history there of hurt and pain, mm-hmm. um, which was uncovered very quickly and which I probably wasn't prepared for emotionally because I thought I'd just come in and and utilize a lot of the skills I have from being in a professional setting to put some governance and some structure around um, what we were doing. But what it came to was it became more of um, something about the heart than the head in the end. And um, it was a great time. I met lots and lots and lots of beautiful people, um, but I was I was more than happy to step down after a year and, and hand the reins over um, to a new chair chairwoman. Um, yeah. Mm. How would you describe the rainbow community in, in Auckland? I think I think there's a mis a misunderstanding a lot of the time, um, and this goes all the way back to because I've always identified as the B of LGBT. Um, But because I was married to a man, I wasn't quote unquote allowed to be in rainbow society at the time. So that for me was a personal struggle. When I started to meet people, it's it's like putting people all into a big bucket and there's a thousand million billion different personality types and predilections and lifestyles and family units. It's hard to say what the rainbow community is like because the rainbow community is just our community. 
you know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's just diversity. We're all, we, it's diverse. Yeah. We, we have a very diverse, a very opinionated, <laughs> very opinionated group. And I think that's beautiful. Um, I love to play in the nuance and learn about people. Um, and it broke my heart last year when there was a huge, huge division in the community. Um, absolutely broke my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels, it feels like we're all starting to talk a little bit more. And again, to get off of social media, to do the talking. A lot of the division was driven through keyboard warriors online, and it was a hard thing to watch happen, but I'm stepping aside was a, a very good <laughs> personal decision to have made uh, the year prior. So, yeah. So do you, um, do you have an, um, a community that you are involved in now? or I do a lot of um, work giving back to giving back professionally, mentorships, um, working with younger people around um, their life goals and, and where professionally they might like to go, and then also personally too. So I spend a lot of time in the community now um, giving back to organizations and and people in that way. Mm, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's very fulfilling. It's a lot do. of fun. It's a lot yeah. of fun. You meet some very, <laughs> very cool people. Um, what would you, or how would you say or describe equality? Equality to me is is pretty simple. Um, I like to boil it down to the fact that we're all completely born whole. And I don't know if it's something that happens when you become a mother or you travel overseas or when it is that it just clicks. But when you look at somebody else and you realize that they are just as whole and as broken as you are, the world becomes a place where you just are able to move more freely in your own skin. And equality for me is in a beautiful, beautiful world. We would all look at the person across the table from us, regardless of skin color, ethnicity, sexuality, whatever, creed, and we would be like, you're whole. I value your opinion. That's equality to me. That would be. That would be amazing, right? Amazing. (laughs) That could happen. Yeah. Yeah. It would be so cool. (laughs) Um, How do you think we can create a more equal world? (sighs) Creating a more equal world, I think, is allowing space for people who and platforms to people who who don't have the space or afraid to 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 take it up in the world um i know as a woman i've i was born in an upper middle class very privileged life um you know white southern california well educated and as much as i said you know i worked hard for that and i worked bloody hard in my life i was given a lot of hands up simply by the way I was born and who I was born as. And it's all of us being able to unpack that and recognize that without thinking that we're, you know, we're not losing power. I'm not less of a person by giving someone else my platform. It's understanding that sometimes we just need to shut up as a majority and give away our platform proudly to help lift the voices of others. The only way we will get that kind of equality is to be able to also call ourselves out on our own bullshit. And those blinkers that society puts on us when we're part of the quote-unquote governing class. Um, unpacking that kind of stuff takes time, but it's it's worthwhile. Um, and a more equal world, I think, will come when we start to instill that into our children as well. There is not a single person on this planet my daughter thinks she's better as than right now. And I will call her out on that too if that ever happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what have been the proudest moment in your life? Oh, <laughs> I tried uh, really hard to think about my proudest moment. 
And it's hard to pick a moment. I'd say the proudest, the proudest moments in my life change. And every day is as cheesy as it sounds. It's just waking up and choosing to go, go for a whole day again and to be positive and to be an optimist. And when the world kind of shakes you and puts you back down and says, there you go, you're broken a little bit. What do you think now? You stand back up and you go, it's cool. I'm good. Like my proudest moments are, are in the small moments every day. Mm. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. What have been some of the hardest moments in your life? Oh, there've been some good, there's been some good ones. There's been some <laughs> cracker moments. <laughs> um, the hardest moments for me have been uh, more recent, I think. And maybe that's because of the proximity of the memories. Uh, but last year I went through a very, very um, deep and, and very hard depression. Something that I haven't really talked a lot about. Um, where I got to the point where I was, I was like at the pinnacle, right? I, I wanted to go overseas. I wanted to, to present and professionally be seen as someone. It was the ego talking, you know, and the ego was being stroked. I, I was, I'd flown to VidCon in Los Angeles and there were 34,000 people at this conference and I got to speak in front of people I just love and, and look up to. And I remember flying back to New Zealand just riddled with anxiety, like, feeling like a failure and horrible on all counts. And it just had a really, really bad time, which I like to call the unraveling. Brene Brown calls it a great unraveling and says most of us go through it. It was a, a very intense unraveling. And if I had, wouldn't have had my wife with me, I don't know how that would have ended. So to, again, because of the privilege I carry, I was able to afford very good therapy, mm. <laughs> which was hard also to go to because then you have to admit to yourself that there's something inherently, uh, something that needs to, to, to be addressed. Um, and then you start to uncover things, <laughs> things that potentially you haven't uncovered before. And I think, you know, a lot of things had happened in my life. I'd, um, I'd been divorced. My grandmother, who was my soulmate, passed away. The, the stuff with pride um, happened and, and really broke my resolve and my, and my, my confidence in myself. I changed jobs a few times. I'd gotten married again, like all of these ups and downs, and they all came to a head. So to uncover all those things and to process it meant that I had to be really honest with myself, and that was hard. It was really, really hard to look in the mirror and go, you're lucky, but you don't see it. And then go, how do we rebuild that? How do we make the smile a real smile? How do you share this with people without having them feel sorry for you? How do you go through this? So those have been like some of the hardest times and, and they have been more recent, but they've also put me in a place where like, I, I wouldn't have not gone through that. I feel so much more comfortable in my own skin than I ever have. Mm -hmm. And we don't talk about it enough in New Zealand. No, we don't. It's kind of a shame that you, you know, you shouldn't show yourself weak or, yeah. you know, yeah. it's all about. Especially with, you know, men. There's, um, there's a huge issue with men and depression and suicide. And um, the my ex-husband, he's such a cool guy, like such a cool guy. Um, But he's very much that Kiwi bloke that doesn't really talk about his feelings and didn't talk about things. And maybe I had like years of pent up not talking. Maybe, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, but I've got a, I've had so many men come forward to me too, and you know, just through DM or having a coffee and just 
break down and say, tell me what they're going through. So the second you start to tell your story, mm-hmm. other people feel comfortable enough. Um, so it's something that I think needs to be unpacked in New Zealand society big time. Yeah, yeah it's okay to show feelings, yeah. even if you're a man. Yeah, totally. You can't cry. Like, if it's you sort cry, of okay. I'm going to cry. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> that's what I do. I'm yeah. going to cry. <laughs> but, yeah, it's a, hard times will come. They There are no good times without bad times, and I, I do believe that. You need to learn, and, and we learn when we are pushed out of our comfort zone and we're pulled, and, and you know we're not the most malleable of beings until we realize, wow, we're completely different to who we were. 365 days ago um yeah where do you start if you feel like you're really down or you know where you had that um meltdown yeah where did you start after that to get back up again i was lucky on so many levels first of all that i've um as a leader across some a lot of big businesses in new zealand um i've had a lot of training around how to spot um symptoms and others So I knew what was going on, but I just didn't want to admit it. Um, second of all, um, my wife was there and um, we learned together how to deal with depression. And, um, you know, I was I was medicated for about six months and, and going through that journey of of medication and, and having to tell my family and my parents and and, you know, to see the hurt on their faces because they they didn't know any of this was going on either. Um, yeah, it's this hard journey to go through regardless. But New Zealand, in saying that we have a problem with it, there are so many amazing um, channels through which to get help. Um, From youth line all the way through to suicide hotlines, there's anything you can imagine. The hardest part is making the phone call. My wife made the phone call for me. Um, And I was lucky to to be put in touch with a very, very amazing therapist. Um, And we ended up going together, my wife and I, and chatting. Um, But New Zealand offers so much in that space. And so it's just, it's it's telling somebody, you only need one person. If you can't make the phone call, have somebody else help you make that phone call. Mm. It's important. Yeah, that sounds like a good good advice for first start. Yeah. Get started. Yeah. 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 Tell someone. Don't keep it inside. Tell someone. What have been some of the biggest learnings in your life? Ooh, I've got a couple of those. Um, the first one is slow down, right? There's this glorification of busyness in today's world when we have a phone in one hand and a computer typing on the other and, I don't know, Google Glass on your eyeballs. Like, we're we're everywhere but nowhere, if that makes sense. So just slow down. Like, um, I've started at this job taking probably one or two nights a week and just leaving the office and going for a two-hour walk to clear my head, to make phone calls, whatever it is. No screens in my face. My wife will pick up our daughter, <laughs> and I just go for a walk. And it does huge, huge good for for mental states and for just life in general, enjoying life. Eat the cake. Because you should always, like, if you're gluten-free, get a gluten-free cake. If you're vegan, get a vegan cake, but just eat cake. Like, if somebody says, do you want it? Just say yes. Like, even if you don't eat it, just, like, eat it. Eat the cake. Um, I'm a firm believer, and I think this is the the positivity thing. Is Like, just love the hell out of people. Like, 
don't be afraid to tell people you love them. I know it's probably weird, but I walk down the halls in the business where we are now and I will seriously yell from one end to the other, I love you. And people will be like, okay, see you at the meeting on Monday. You know, like, but it's like, but I love you. You're awesome. We don't tell people that enough, you no. know? Like, so just love people and, and let them know how important you are. Um, I, I find joy in like the little things and the nuance, um, you know, like the house sunlight <laughs> hits the drop of dew on a, like a daffodil in the morning. Like, I love that stuff. <laughs> I think that comes back to slowing down a lot. Um, just be with your people as often as you can be with your people. Um, and also you are not your job title. Right, you are not um, the things you produce for somebody else, but you are what you put out into the world. So understand the differences between those two. Yeah, you are not your job title is quite shifting, I think, for a generation. Yeah, it feels like the older or the um, generation above us is very much you are yeah. what you do for a living. Yeah, I find I don't know if you find this, but quite often when you meet new people in in New Zealand society, the first question they say is, what do you do? Mm -hmm. You know, or if you're talking about your partner, they go, oh, that's cool. What did they do? Yeah. And it's like, like the more impressive your job title, then they think you're a better person. And it's like, that, that doesn't always work that way, you know? So uncoupling that, which is harder for people my age and older. Um, but the second you can uncouple that, you just, the sense of freedom in who you are and what you are becomes greater. Mm. Yeah. And how do you, how do you wash that out? For me, it's been, um, again, it was, I think it was that unraveling last year and, and realizing that I'd been setting myself some pretty audacious personal and professional goals. And some of them I'd hit most of them. Some of them I hadn't. And all of the pain I was kind of feeling rested on the fact that it was, am I good enough in other people's eyes? And a lot of the time that equates with your job title. And I started to go, you know what? I'm good enough in my eyes and I'm good enough in my wife's eyes. I'm good enough in my kids' eyes and my parents. And that's all I need. You know, I had um, one of my team members from Air New Zealand from a few years ago. Um, she's, we're more like family than friends now. She said to me, she's like, what is, what is the big goal? What is your life goal? What do you want to do with the rest of your life? And I was like, actually, like, I think by the time I'm 50, I just want to be able to sit at home, watch surfers, maybe learn to surf at 50. Like, that would be pretty cool. Drink cups of tea and then maybe write books and give talks. And she was like, that's pretty cool. And I'm like, yeah, don't want a title. No, it's the last thing I want. So the uncoupling, once it happens, it's like it happens and it's pretty liberating. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what do you do for fun and for <laughs> relax? <laughs> Go for long walks. Yeah, actually, that's eat cakes. Number one is eat the cake and then burn it off. <laughs> um, but actually, yeah, going for long walks outdoors. I used to be a runner, but I did myself, you know, I was not nice to my hips and my knees. Now I walk um, a lot and I love that. I love just getting out and turning off and just 
being at one with nature, feeling the earth, you know, beneath your feet and, and feeling the weight of yourself on the world and understanding how things connect. Um, fun fact that most people don't know. <laughs> um, I play the piano and I write lyrics. So I love to oh, like wow. write songs on the side. That's my little like side gig that nobody knows. And I cannot sing. I could, <laughs> I could not carry a tune in a bucket, but um, I've got some friends who can sing, which is good. Um, and I love to, I just love to devour books, like any kind of books from like Game of Thrones all the way through to, you know, self-help and marketing books. I just, I love reading other people's words and understanding other people's points of view and, and you know, having this like beautiful rhythm to a language and an idea. Sometimes it's just like, wow, this is a cool world we live in. So you have a daughter. She's 13. She is. <laughs> What would you like to see her get out of life? I would like for her to <laughs> have the realization younger than I did about um, presence in the world and about the importance of being present, not just physically, but to look around the room, to understand who you're with, to, you know, I think the Maori culture does this so well, you know, to breathe the same air as other people and to really connect as beings. I would love for her to really be able to iterate that young and to be able to, to sit in confidence with herself um, and to be happy. If she's happy and not evil about it, we don't want an evil genius. <laughs> As long as she's happy and kind, then um, then I feel like I've done a good job as a parent. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Do you have a quote to live by? Um, I love basically anything that ever came out of Maya Angelou's mouth. Mm. Um, she's somebody that when I do have wobbly days, I can, I can just turn on a Ted talk or one of, you know, Oprah's podcasts and just listen to her voice and just sit in it and go, okay, we're okay. But I love, I loved since I was a little girl, I loved her quote about, you know, people will forget what you said and what you did, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Um, and I've really tried to live my life by that, the kind of do unto others ethos, um, And I also love the kind of the idea that's coming up now about women and, and if there's not a seat at the table, make sure you bring a folding chair. So I love that kind of, you know, that, that empowering <laughs> message as well, you know, something nice and soft and then boom, yeah. right in the guts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How can we empower more women to become leaders? I think the best way to empower women to become leaders is to redefine leadership. Um, leadership as it was while I was growing up and still what it's like a lot now is very masculine. It's very old boys club. It's very um, driven by managerial styles that suit the, well, that don't suit the empathetic, let's say, um, leadership styles. Leadership and management, I do believe, go hand in hand, but I do believe they are different hands, if that makes sense. Um redefining leadership in terms that allow women to bring their whole selves into a business will help women become more successful over time. I think Jacinda is kind of showing that in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, Jacinda's amazing. Uh, I had an interview a while back and it was what was the most defining moment of last year. So it was Jacinda, you know, with a baby at the UN, you know, just what a woman. And yeah. then, you know, since Christchurch happened, um, I actually went home to the States 
on the Monday following the Friday attack in Christchurch. And it felt weird to leave New Zealand at that time. But to go home and to see how the world reacted to empathetic leadership and to a woman who was able to hug people who were going through hard times and to a woman who was also standing strong, it just made me so proud to be a Kiwi by choice. You know what I mean? Mm, definitely. There was, a, there was something that she said that just made me think, my God, this is a strong woman. And it, I think it was the first day the media had um, was asking her questions. And one person said to her, how do you feel being in the same room as the person who perpetrated this massacre? And without even blinking her eyes, this woman said, I'm also in the same room as the people who will bring him to justice. And I was just like, oh, you know, wow. This is a woman who owns her voice and whatever, you know, take, she takes up the space she needs to take up and she is undoubtedly herself. When I was um, chair of the pride board, I walked with Jacinda in the pride parade and I can remember going up to greet her beforehand and, you know, she was pregnant at the time and it was, and I said to her, thank you so much for walking today in the parade. And she's, she's just kind of like, oh, done it before no biggie and I was like this is a biggie <laughs> you are the prime minister you're pregnant and you're marching in a pride parade this is big and we thank you you know that's the kind of woman I see when I see her yeah 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 she's amazing yeah she's, she's a really cool cat cool, yeah she's a cool cat what advice would you give to your 20 year old self oh boy at 20 it was like a year off of meeting my husband My goodness, to my 20-year-old self would probably be the same advice that I give to my 30-year-old self, to my 35-year-old self, and hopefully, and it's just, just be you. Just be okay with that. Just be okay with that. If you're okay with who you are, you'll move through the world in a way where others will accept you for who you are, and if they don't, it won't matter. Thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod. My name is Suzanne Axelsen. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to subscribe and please give it a five-star rating. You can also follow Girl Power Pod on Instagram. It would really mean a lot to me to hear your thoughts on today's episode. So please email girlpowerpod at gmail.com. I would love to get your feedback and I respond to every email. In the next episode, we are talking to Grace Stratton, who wants to make fashion accessible for all. She recently made the list of top 50 badass women. Grace shared how her not-so-ordinary circumstances and how her passion for fashion led her to where she is today. Make sure to subscribe to not miss out. Thank you for listening to Girl Power Pod.